Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hello, hello. Welcome back, friends. It is so good to see you all. It is May 1st. 2019 and this this is the a-side live chat podcast i hope all of you out there having a spectacular start to your week we appreciate you all so much for joining us today and it has been another busy week in the mma world and i am honored honored to be joined by the man on the other side of this show today let me bring in my co-host for this morning joining me on today's program you may know him as the man in the hat he is the best writer in the game he is the poet and y'all already know it the man the myth, the legend. Thank you so much for joining the program, Mr. Chuck Mindenhall. What is up, Chuck? Welcome to the dark side. Welcome to the A side. Check it out. Check it out. We got it on. Just for you, Sean. What oh. happened to the cat? What happened to the cat who's usually on this show? Where's he at? Oh, we don't talk about him anymore. Talk about him. <laughs> oh, you even put on your fancy hat for us. That is that your <laughs> that's your that's your good times hat. Yes. Yeah. It was my thinking cap. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you so much for joining us today, man. Uh, I'm glad as we to be on the show, man. I'm glad to finally be on here. You know, this thing has morphed from like Luke's thing to like what you guys were doing, which I've, I've always liked, uh, kind of you guys bouncing off each other. So uh, it's an honor for me to finally sit over here with a microphone. Look at this. Got a mic set up. So uh, this is cool, man. I like this setup you have behind you, too. It's sort of a fight memorabilia uh, shrine. Yeah. Well, it's got to look good. You know what I mean? It's got to be better than like Luke's, uh, whatever he had, like uh, like he was in a jail cell. And then uh, Mark always had kind of like he was in a little, I don't know, holding tank or something. So I wanted something, <laughs> like, something like what you have. I like, is that all the hats I see right behind you on this side? Um, there's some hats right there on that. Yeah, there's, that's some of my hat collection on the door over there, Sam. Oh, my goodness. Behind the curtain. Up over there. I, got a, I got a bunch of line around here. So. Oh my gosh, that is legendary stuff. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us once again. There is so much to discuss on today's show. Uh, Brock Lesnar wasted everyone's time for the better part of a year. That was great. Jack Hermanson just had a month to remember. Bellator 220 ended up Bellatorian as hollered as possible. Plus, Raging Ally Quinta returns to the cage this weekend against Donald Cerrone in the Great White North. All of that and more on today's show but as we always say this is your guys' show so whatever you want us to talk about we will talk about you can ask us a question on the mma fighting page below any question that gets three recommendations those will turn green you get priority or you can ask us a question on twitter using the hashtags the a side or chat rappers also one quick reminder uh that the announcement i have been talking about for the past few weeks has finally gone into effect which means all mma fighting shows have been merged into one mma fighting podcast feed that is available wherever you guys get your pods. So that means subscribe to MMA Fighting on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere else. And you will get that delivered to your ear holes every week. The MMA Hour on Monday, Euro Bash with Pizza Carol on Tuesday. This fine program on Wednesdays. 
and the MMA, MMA beat, which my friend over here is a part of uh, on Thursdays. So go out, subscribe to MMA fighting or else we're just going to all be kind of sad and disappointed in you. And you don't, you don't want that. You really don't want Nobody that. Needs that. Nobody <laughs> and with that, are you ready to do this? My friend, are you ready, Chuck? Let's do it. All right. Once more into the breach, let's dive in and let's start from the MMA fighting page with our good friend Jitmo, who wants to know the new, who wants to ask about the news of the day. DC Stipe to why this rematch? He writes with Brock Lesnar now supposedly retired from MMA, a rematch between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic just being targeted for a heavyweight title main event in August. And all I can think is why. By August, Stipe will have not fought for an entire year. And after being knocked out in the first round against Daniel, while other heavyweights have remained busy for that time, JDS has three big wins in the time, two of which came by TKO. Francis Ngannou, uh, he's just listing resumes. I'm going to skip through some of this. Francis Ngannou has been doing well. Curtis Blade's been doing well. Uh, so my question is, why book this fight between Daniel and Stipe and forego other new and potentially interesting matchups against other contenders? I personally believe Stipe needs to have at least one decisive win before gifted another title shot, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And if Daniel will be retiring soon and DC Jones 3 won't necessarily happen, why not choose to lengthen his list of defeated opponents before then? Uh, so there's a lot going on in that question, Chuck, but this is let's just generally start. Uh, with the news that came out yesterday. Brock Lesnar supposedly retiring. Uh, I don't know how you... I mean, he last fought in 2016. It's 2019. Can you really retire from something you're not actively doing? <laughs> I'm not sure there, but what was your takeaway from the news? Just uh, thoughts about Brock Lesnar first, coming out with that last night and we were where we seem to be headed. Well, it's one of these weird things because... Um... I think we've been hanging on this idea that he would return at some point. There's a lot of left uh, undone from his career, obviously, the diverticulitis um, thing that kind of happened. We were wondering how how that might have affected him. He comes back. He's got the asterisks on his Mark Hunt fight. Um, and there was, a, you know, Mark Hunt has continued to harp about this. So you think that there, if anything else, he's going to come back at some point for a little bit of redemption or maybe to save face, uh, maybe for his career, his legacy, all that stuff. But they've been literally dangling this out there for, what, a year um, that he's going to be coming back. Last summer, I think it was in July, you know, he re-entered the USADA pool. Uh, it seemed like that was an admission that he's coming back. Um yeah, that's something I wouldn't think that he'd want to do voluntarily just for the fun of it, especially given his track record. So I, I assumed he was coming back. So given that that door was open this whole time, um, retirement seems like the right word ultimately, but only because of we've been hanging on this. And I mean, honestly, like when Dana White is basically mentioning him and Dana Cormier, this fight is basically made in their minds. Uh, that's the next fight going forward. That's his last title fence. It's his legacy fight to kind of, uh, you know, his legacy gift, his parting gift with the UFC and all this stuff. And then it doesn't happen. It feels like retirement, but it also feels like a major disappointment in a sense, um, because we've we've sat and justified this fight in our minds and we've played it over a million times. And everybody who's waited, there's a domino effect of all the guys, all the matchmaking that's went on since then. Um, that doesn't happen. All the weird things happen just for him to shrug his shoulders and then be like, nah, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. So I feel like that it is a retirement, but it's a it's a very disappointing and strange retirement, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, ab absolutely, man. I mean, I, I I think viewers of this show know my stance on Brock Lesnar at this point. I'm not a big fan. Not a, not a big fan. Uh, but And this kind of goes to my point, I guess. It, it seems as though this relationship between him and the UFC for so long has been fraught with 
uncertainty, but also just general manipulation, right? Like he seems to treat our sport as a way to more or less just negotiate back and forth between what he wants to do. Uh, we're his side piece, so to speak. And I, I'm now super glad that we could hold the heavyweight division hostage for a year for a guy who continually over and over again seems to just make a mockery of this sport and show total disregard for anyone who's actually in it. Uh, and, and now we've reached this point. That fight happened all the way in July when they had the pushing in the cage and that seemed to be what was next. Was this all a ruse from the beginning? Like, do you think Brock ever had intentions to fight ever? I have to believe just on the surface that he did. I mean, I can't imagine why you would go through all of that. He's not a guy that's easy to pry out of his house either. He's a, he's kind of a hermit really when it comes down to it. I think it takes a large amount of money to get him motivated to actually leave Saskatchewan or wherever he's living now. I think it's one of those, he's one of those guys who just likes his privacy. I think he's, um, you're not going to budge him unless there's something real uh, and tangible for him to go get. But it, so it, it is worth it is worth noting, though, that when he came out last July for that Stipe Cormier fight, his contract was almost up with WWE, and that's sort of what it is, right? It's whenever that happens, he that's when he makes his appearance, his grand return to the public. Uh, yeah, guy. I think you know him him entering the pool again, you know, just getting him back in the drug testing pool and those types of things. Obviously, that's the um, that that signaled to me that he was taking it seriously enough. And I think, I mean, honestly, man, how would how would Cormier I don't know what they're selling otherwise, unless they're like, you know what, Cormier wants to take a bunch of time off without questions asked. I, and what, why would, what would be the point of that to, uh, to drag something out and put everything on hold? I mean, there was a lot of big fights the UFC could have kind of gone with. I was talking about that. I wrote a column earlier today about uh, the domino effect of basically something like this. Like you could literally have had this trumpeted up at this point, a Cormier Jones trilogy, right? Like you could have sold those elements and really put this into play to be a big time event happening soon. But instead um, you know, we've, we've kind of, we've shot John Jones off in a different direction for now. And, you know, it's just, everything kind of gets splintered off of, uh, the, the waiting game with this. So I can't imagine it was a ruse. If it was, I have no idea what the end result was supposed to be of this. Um, cause it's really just disappointment when you're dealing in fan. Dis I, I know the fight wasn't like, uh, being glorified by fans. There's a lot, plenty of fans who are moaning about it. Didn't really like it. They want the meritocracy, but the people who bought into it and, and the casual fan who was kind of waiting for that to come around again. It, I can't imagine you're in the business of disappointment. You know, it's, it's a hype game, which they were playing, and I think it just didn't work out. Yeah, although, I mean, it is worthwhile, I think, to note that this is really words coming from Dana White, right? And 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 the, the relationship between Dana White and Brock Lesnar has always been relatively interesting. Uh, and also, we have just generally seen this throughout the years of, of all the public negotiation that Dana sort of does uh, negotiating through the media negotiating through social media, even I, sure. part of me does wonder, and I, maybe this is just, um, this is the, the don't believe his lies meme for Dana White or something like that. But is, is this fight truly dead? Like it, we have seen the UFC use big fight, big name fighters to as pawns in negotiations before, whether it was Habib at UFC 205 to get Eddie Alvarez to sign on the dotted light against Connor without negotiating his contract. Like, do you, is there any way you think we still get DC versus Lesnar? Dude, in this game, I feel like um, nothing is ever dead. I mean, I feel like any, anybody who says anything, you know, you kind of have to just wait and see if they're telling the truth or not. I mean, honestly, too, you're right. That is the caveat we should put on this is that Dana White is the one relaying this to ESPN, and we are then relaying what we've been told. Uh, I haven't talked to Brock Lesnar personally. I, I don't think we've heard from him publicly yet. 
so right now we have his version of it. It sounds kind of, I don't think they would move on unless they really got the indication that he wasn't interested in taking the fight. But again, you never really know how this thing is playing out. Um, but no, I mean, I would be, you know, I, two weeks from now, we could be talking about Brock Lesnar is back in it. You know, I mean, it's just that <laughs> kind of game. It's just, it always, you know, this sport, every time you think you actually have a finger on a finger on the pulse of what's going on, um, something else happens and you, you know what I mean? You just, you're made, you're, you're made to feel like an idiot again and again. And uh, that's part of what makes it alluring in the end is the unpredictability of, uh, and, and the plot twists and all this stuff. But no, I could see, I could see a scenario where Lesnar shows up again for sure. The yeah. money, I mean the money, right? It's like, if there's money there, he's going to be interested at some point. Absolutely. I feel like I just have a feeling this is not the end of this story, but in the meantime, let's, let's answer Jay, Jay Jitmo's question and sort of, talk about what is in front of us now because we've waited a year uh even daniel cormier has fought since he, he fought steve Miocic and beat steve Miocic at ufc 226 he fought Derek lewis not too long ago uh at msg it seems as though steve in dc rematch is the way that ufc wants to go effectively rewarding steve for sitting out it will be over a year by the time this fight happens in august is that the right move? You have you have Francis Ngannou out here who has been sleeping fools in in less than a minute. Dude destroys Cain Velasquez in like twenty seconds. That's probably the most impressive win I have seen in the heavyweight division over the last year. You have others like JDS, uh, Alistair Overeem, Curtis Blades. All of these guys should Stipe be rewarded basically for sitting out what will turn out to be about thirteen months. I think so. In the end, I think that that's the right call. And if you even recall, like when we first, um, when Cormier had, uh, had just beaten Derek Lewis, he basically laid out a tiered system of the way he would operate, that he would like to operate, which was he wanted Lesnar next. If that didn't happen, he was, he was, it seemed to me like he wanted the Jones fight. Like that would kind of be the next, the plan B. And then there would be this distant plan C that he was sort of reluctant to even admit that he would uh, partake in, which was the Miocic rematch. And he kept pointing out his reasons for that. And obviously, we saw we saw what happened uh, last July, uh, and we saw that knockout, and it was a very impressive thing. It was emphatic, but I think that when you just look back at uh, what Miocic was doing before that, you know, just uh, what he had like six wins in a row, I think five more finishes. He was just destroying guys. Uh, you know, he really put it together. He now holds a record that is. It doesn't sound that crazy to win three, like to defend the title. <laughs> But apparently that's the hardest thing to do because he's the only guy to do it. So I'm like, you look at the legacy of that and you think, yes, off of those things alone, he does deserve that rematch. He really does. Um, and especially given that the druthers of the whole situation have fallen out or they're just not available. He's the next guy. I think he's the next logical guy. And you know what, man? He, he did wait it out. And there's something to be said about the principles of that. Um, it doesn't often work out like this. And who knows if we'll actually see that fight when, that's, when it's supposed to happen. But, um, you know, there's something to be said about waiting it out and, and being principled that way and, um, and getting that shot. By the time it rolls around, man, it'll, be, it'll feel like a big fight again because both guys, if they just roll any B-roll on those guys, you're going to remember how good both of them are, the two heads of momentum going at it again. And the fact that, if, you know, if Miocic evens the score, you then have a trilogy that's kind of built into this whole situation. I don't know that I agree though. Like, will will it feel like a, a big fight? To me, it doesn't feel like a, a big fight anymore. And I I think maybe part of that is the way that this has come about. Uh, I I have been on record saying that I don't like the the. I don't think he should be. Re- Steve should be rewarded for sitting out as long as he did, especially when 
you go into UFC 226 and, and the, there was sort of a, a spoken stipulation for both men that the winner of this is probably going to fight Brock. And both men were very eager for that. Both men agreed to it more or less. And then you go out and lose in the first and then it turns into more or less just, I don't want to say whining because he was not whining, but he was complaining a lot for the last year after you're the, the one that, that ends up on the, the short end of the stick. Like that's sort of the agreement that you guys made. You can't then just be upset about it afterwards. To me, Francis Ngannou is the guy, and I know he is booked against Junior Dos Santos, and I know they won't do this, but the move to me felt like reward the guy who has been active, reward the guy who has been willing to take these fights for you, headline these big events, first ESPN show. Again, a victory over Cain Velasquez, the way he did it, to me is the most impressive thing that anybody in that division has done for the entire past year, more or less. Take him out of the JDS fight, Maybe throw Stipe against JDS or even Alistair Overeem. I think both those uh, trilogy fight or a rematch would be would be very interesting. And reward Francis Ngannou. Give, and, and also, that fight is just... There's a built-in story there, right? Francis Ngannou just took out DC's guy. He just took out the, the man who is one of DC's best friends and training partners in the entire world. Let DC try to get revenge there. That, to me, is more intriguing, both stylistically and also just story-wise and meritocracy-wise than... The, the rematch with Miocic, but I, I mean, I am no matchmaker, and it seems that they do not care what I think. <laughs> they don't care what I think either, Sean. That might be news to you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, truthfully, I would have liked to have seen Miocic stay busy. I would have liked to have seen him uh, win one more fight, you know, somewhere along the way, just to kind of emphatically make his case. But I do dig the idea that he believed he deserved it, and he kind of stuck by that. I, um, You do see guys who stay busy, and they slip out of contention for good by losing that next fight. I will say that I love the Francis Ngannou idea. I really do. But, you know, it's still very fresh in my mind. I know you were, you were probably at the fight with Cain Velasquez, right? So it's yeah. uh, it's a little bit different when you're right there. But just from a, a little bit of a remove and watching it all unfold from a little uh, a little distance, I still can't get out of my head, you know, his two losses, to be honest. I'm You know, they're still a little fresh on the memory. And so to me, I still feel like Miocic still has, you know, it's just a personal a personal druthers, but I'm like, you, you look at him, like, I just think, I feel like Miocic probably has the better case in the end. Yeah. Well, then last thing to wrap this whole story up and then we will move on. Just very quickly, we have now passed DC's 40th birthday in this wait for whatever this next fight was going to be. He had always said for a long time that the 40th birthday was set of the benchmark. That would be the end of it. Do you think this is the last one we'll see from DC? Oh, man. Again, you know, this is one of those questions like we try to predict these things and it's always if the money is right. And in prize fighting, it's always like who's who's doing what with it, if the money is right. If they offered him a John Jones trilogy, I just can't imagine that he would accept. You know, let's say that let's say that DC goes in and beats Miocic and he, again, he comes out unscathed. It, he could ride out on the sunset and be like, you know what, man, I, I've, I've done all I can do in the sport. I, I, what more do I have to prove? But there would be the one thing, which would be the John Jones thing, right? I feel like they could lure him. Because if you talk to his coaches and you talk to guys around him, they talk about how he kind of obsesses over that situation a little bit. I just can't imagine he's going to be able to be, you know, say say goodbye to the John Jones trilogy if it's available to him. Yeah, I agree with you, and I ho- I hope that happens at heavyweight. I don't I don't think that ever will happen, but that would be a fitting end to me. That would be cool. Uh, but in the meantime, Chuck, one question up, one question down. You knocked it out of the park. Let's keep it going. Uh, this next one's coming from the MMA fighting page from Jay DeLuca, who wants to ask about Rory McDonald. Hey, Shaheen and Chuck, Rory McDonald's post-fight speech on Saturday night depicted a reverent religious tone and piously devout, devout 
odd demeanor while strongly conveying his feelings of uncertainty on his fighting future. Yet a statement put out yesterday seemed to confirm that he is not done competing. Ariel Hawani stated that Rory's, quote, honesty in this interview uh, about his feelings on hurting another man are fascinating. While Chuck wrote an exceptional piece analyzing Rory's comments, especially when he stated, quote, but if we melt at but if we melt at shows of compassion when two fighters embrace after they go to war, we should melt when a man goes to war with his own conscience to approve the actions, which is a tremendous line, I must say. Uh, Shaheen, what is your take on Rory's speech from Saturday night? And Chuck, since you've already written about it, why do you think more deeply religious fighters in the sport do not echo Rory's compunctious statement? Well, so we got to gotta talk to people about shortening these up a little bit, Sean. These are like <laughs> here, these are full-on novels. Um, They're trying to impress you, Chuck. They're trying to. Oh, impress that's you. a very well-written question, uh, and I appreciate the phrasing there. But uh, you know, this is. Um, I think it all caught us the same way, right? You, you watch something like that, and it kind of fractures um, this mindset you're in when you watch a fight. There's a basic hysteria that you, you know, almost a dehumanizing effect when a, when a collective watches a fight. You basically begin to um, not see them as two people sometimes, but as uh, you know, instruments of war going at each other and, and wills being exacted on each other. So when somebody fractures that right afterwards, and especially in a fight like that that didn't offer a ton of um, – excitement i didn't i felt like it was fairly anticlimactic it wasn't i don't know i'm sure bellator would have accept would have wanted it to play out a little differently but um it's it's bizarre right like when you have somebody just kind of say like you know i'm not sure i have it in me to to hurt another man anymore and he's kind of empathizing with us and showing compassion to his opponents and 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 mentioning religion as uh you know as it's kind of an internal dialogue he's got going on with god in the in the cage and all this and it kind of fractures up that whole um, that hysteria that I was talking about that people want to see, and it's just kind of crazed. I can appreciate it because this game is so nuanced in that way. There's so much about fighting that all of it should be embraced in the, in that way. Like it, ha you know, it's that's the complexity of these guys. We never give enough thought to how much internally they struggle to even get, you know, to even get in that cage. So, uh, somebody saying something like that, it, it can be twofold. I took it as, you know what, man, that's a, an incredibly courageous and honest way to assess something right after you've just done it and say, like, you know, I've got more questions to myself that I need to answer. Um, that's one way. The other way is like, hey, man, if it's hearts not in, he probably doesn't want to be in a fight game anymore because we've seen guys who start doing it for paychecks or doing it for, you know, corner people or for people around him who think they should, you know, or you know, sponsors, whatever it is, and then they just start getting their ass handed to them and it becomes a sad end. So I saw it both ways, but in the moment I was very, uh, I was kind of uh, stricken by his honesty and moved by it. And I know he's since come out obviously and said, you know, it's just me shooting off the cuff, but you know, I, I, I don't plan on return. I plan on finding in June and all this, um, which is too, which is very soon, by the way, I feel, I feel like he should wait a little bit longer than that. But, um, but ultimately, man, I, um, you know, I don't know if I answered the question, but ultimately I feel like, uh, I, I appreciate honesty like that because I know that that level exists in all, and most fighters, most fighters have to question things on that level and, uh, and, and forward, you know what I mean? And so on. Yeah, no, it, it, it takes you back, especially in the moment, right? Because this is Rory McDonald. Like think of who this is. This is Aries. This is the God of war. This is the red King. Like this is a man who we lionized for a long time as just a psychopath who lived and breathed in violence and just wanted to exact violence upon people. You go back to, to UFC 189. It's the most, one of the most violent spectacles I've ever seen in my life. And, and to see now within a span of a couple of years, sort of 
where we've gotten with Rory. Uh, it, it is, I mean, it's, 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 it's maybe not alarming, but it's, it's fascinating to some degree. And it, and it also just kind of makes sense on a, on a base human level. Like we can't, it's hard for us outside of the cage to relate to the people inside of the cage because me and you have never experienced whatever that sensation is, but just on a human to human level, I feel like I can understand just some degree of what Rory is saying, right? I feel like we all can, like, this is a man who is 29 years old. He's not even 30 at this point. We, we would consider him young, but he has been in this for 14 years. His first fight was 14 years ago for more than half of his life, or actually almost half of his life has been spent either training for a fight or actually competing in a fight. And I can imagine that that just gets tiresome. I do not have the same anger and uh, lust for, for violence that I did when I was a teenager. And I'm sure an angst and whatever wraps up in that, especially I'm sure that you are the same. And especially if someone is having the ability to every single day exact that anger, exact that violence, put that out there in the world and sort of rid themselves of it just for a few hours or however long that lasts. I would imagine at some point you just get tired of it, right? You just want to be a normal person. He Rory has a, a wife and he has a, a kids like. I'm sure it's, he just wants to be a, a grown man at this point, but he's kind of it seems like he almost feels stuck uh, in a way that is very relatable in a strange way. Like, I, I don't know how, if I'm articulating that right, but it's, I, it's the honesty. I agree with you. The honesty was just striking to hear from a fighter. Cause we, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of been that way for a long time, very complicated and introspective guy. I think that he's one of those, uh, he's one of those guys who's communicated in different ways through his career. And he's also seen a lot, you know, he switched promotions. He's kind of, pointed out seeing the puppet strings a little bit within the fight game and uh it's very i would imagine it's very difficult to keep your motivations like you're mentioning especially when you start off in a certain space there's something you want to prove there's something in you need to sort out and then you go you know you kind of navigate your career finds god whatever the, whatever the thing is because everybody evolves in their own way uh you can you can you can kind of see i think his his story plays out like that more so than other guys there's some guys i think they're just that's what they do they don't need anger. They don't have to function on um, some kind of internal wiring that says, I have to fight. I have to fight. That's what I am. I'm a fighter. There's some guys um, who's just, it's second nature. They go, they go in there and it's a sport to them. They can go in there and, uh, and trade punches with somebody and they don't see, they just see it as a transaction and a sport, almost like a ball sport, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's other guys who just, they go through different formations. I feel like Rory is one of those guys and he's very, he's very honest. You know, I think he wants to communicate honesty and that matters to him. So, again, even his even his like uh, even the thing he put out the little statement. I mean, I felt like it was pretty honest. You know, it was pretty honest of him saying like, hey, wait, it was just me saying this. And let me clarify. But um, well, here, I want to I want to ask you about that statement, because really, I think another thing that compounded all of this, right, the reaction to all of this and really just what we saw from the John Fitch fight was what we saw in his last fight, too, against Gegard Mousasi. That didn't. That didn't feel like Rory McDonald. That felt like a man who looked like Rory McDonald, but he didn't have seem to have that same, I don't want to say fire because that's cliche, but he he just looked unmotivated in that fight in a way that I think was alarming. And then he same thing happens in this John Fitch fight. And now, like you said, he's he's thinking of fighting in June. Um, that's very, very soon. <laughs> that's next month. It's already May, so that's next month. Uh what do you make of that statement? Do you think do you, what do you make of him wanting to fight next month? Do you think this is the right call, I guess? Because that statement, like you said, was very 
uh, it was still very honest. And he yeah. still in the, in the more or less admitted, I need to figure this out. He's not going to have much time to figure it out. Yeah, I would have liked to I would like to have seen him take a little time, honestly, after saying something like that, take a little time and really uh, and really try to sort that out, because I don't think that that's something you can snap your fingers and be like, you know what, man, uh, let's move on and just get the next guy. Even if the guy's not like a heavy striker or somebody's going to do tons of damage on him or something like that. But let's let's face it, man, the guy himself has been through wars. You mentioned the Robbie Lawler fight and, you know, that he's been through a lot of wars, a lot of fights where he's had to sit up. Uh, with his own wounds, shattered nose, parts of his own body that had been broken essentially in these battles and um, and basically internalize what that meant, like to go through these things and then to imagine doing it to somebody else. And I think that that's where his uh, his conscience is kind of playing over it a little bit. Like, why would I why, why would I want to put somebody through this? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> I hope he sorts it out, man, um, because I, honestly, it's not when somebody does talk like that, it be it's it's a double-edged thing because uh, when he goes in there the next time, that's certainly going to play over that fight. You're like, does he want to be here or doesn't he want to be here? And it makes it for a comp. It's a complicated thing for a fan to then have a rooting interest in. You're not sure what you're what you're even rooting for. Your first thing you want is the old Rory, I would suppose. But beyond that, it gets uh, it gets very complicated to what you're watching if a guy doesn't want to be there. So I hope he sorts it out, man. But it, I, I would have liked to have seen him wait, like take some time. I know it doesn't work that way when you got Madison Square Garden booked and um, you've got a tournament that you're running. So he's kind of, if anything, it feels like he's kind of stuck to, uh, to an obligation. And I, I hope he can navigate that new situation well. Yeah. And one last quick note before we move on. He, he did receive a 60-day medical suspension for whatever that's worth. Uh, that in, I, I looked at the, those sheets when they came in. That included no contact for 60 days. So 60 days covers his fight. Like He's going to still be medically suspended for that fight. I'm sure that Bellator is already actively working on, on figuring something out with the California State Athletic Commission. But that well, is... Gracie doesn't make contact with him then, man. we got to hope that there's no contact there. Well, I guess Rory just can't train either. Like None of that, <laughs> exactly. none of that makes any sense, but I'm sure they will figure out something. Uh, if anything... If anything seems fluid in this sport, it is interim titles and medical suspensions. They can be bended at the whims of whoever needs to bend them. What a sad and pathetic thing you just said there. <laughs> uh, but hey, let's move on and let's talk about the other big event that just happened this past weekend. And for that, we're going to go to GREB77, who wants to know about Jack Hermanson, the Joker. JH has had two impressive wins, Branch and Jacare, in the last couple of weeks and is now ranked at number five in the UFC middleweight division. How do you see his chances against the rest of the top five at middleweight? Which of the style matchups in the top five would you favor him the most and the least? And so, Chuck, Jack Hermanson, has he came out last weekend, uh, and he really, good good Lord, man, that dude had a month to remember. You go out there and you submit a, a noted, decorated black belt like David Branch in the first round, and then you just take it to Jacare Souza in a way that we have seen very few do uh, really within a span of a couple weeks that the world is that man's oyster right now. What did you take? What was your takeaways from his, his fight on Saturday and his performance? Very impressed, especially considering that, uh, you know, he was kind of a, he was a replacement, you know, he had to take an opportunity and he's going against a guy that I don't think too many people are really um, excited to fight. You know, this no. is, I, I, I consider Jacare one of the, like, so for the middleweight division, it's almost like the old light heavyweight division. There's these guys that have hovered there. They're like the four horsemen, essentially, at this point. Uh, but Jacare, Romero, you know, Weidman, 
you know, these guys are all in that space and they kind of remain in that space. So you're like, man, those are hard outs and it's gonna, they're always going to be right there. But Jacare was one of the quieter ones in that group who uh, just kept, you know, his waxing fools for a long time. And so to kind of go, I know he's getting older, but to kind of go against a guy like that um, on short notice and then put on that performance, man, some of that inside stuff was just really enlightening. You know, so he was those uppercuts on the inside and like some of the, the short stuff he was landing was in, in such volume and numbers and the way he was just uh, teeing off on him, man. Very, very impressed, especially that second round where he just, um, yeah, yeah, it, it was just like an onslaught. I mean, you just don't see guys do that to Jacare. So that really opened my eyes to how good he is. And I agree. The world is his oyster. Um, and there are a lot of good options for him, honestly. I feel like uh, they could they could choose any of those guys, you know, Gastelum. Uh, they could throw him a, a guy like that who just come off of a, uh, you know, a great performance, even in a loss. I think that that would be a, a fight that makes sense. Um, but, you know, they could – Romero, he's the other guy kind of who's been sitting out there. Um, just difficult to even contemplate. But, I, you know, that fight suddenly becomes very interesting. I mean, it, it's fun. You get a new guy like that who comes up that you you didn't see coming, and uh, he looks like a threat. That's kind of the way Whitaker worked. He he entered that space of those guys who are these elite names, and he navigated himself, and he's the champion. So you kind of want to see these new guys get the chance to uh, to keep building and uh, and and see the old guys have to knock them off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Man, I mean, I have to say the middleweight division might be the best it has been ever. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can remember another time where there are so many mix of factors, right? Because like you said, we have – maybe it's the three horsemen now because Luke Rockhold. Right left to light heavyweight but we still have those three guys hanging around uh yoel shakare and weidman and then also we just have these young up-and-comers israel kelvin gastelum uh and and now jack hermanson paulo costa like the list of names at middleweight right now is pretty ferocious uh and i have to say man i was i still had a little bit of doubt about jack hermanson but he wiped that away from my from my mind on saturday my takeaways were twofold one his level of activity for a man that big is relatively stunning. Like he, he his level of offense and the pace that he keeps will seem, seem suffocating, man, especially with that mix of length that he has and also that defensive jujitsu and offensive ground a pound. He's a very creative and active style. And I think we saw that. I don't know what the total numbers were, but he landed almost five, he threw almost 500 strikes and landed like more than 250, which on a guy like Jacare, <laughs> no one does that. And that goes to my second point, my second takeaway, which was when's the last time we have ever seen anybody walk into a fight with Jacare with the strategy of I'm going to take this man down and actually succeed and almost submitted him and almost submitted him. Like, like close, man. you read the pre-fight articles from our good friends, Pete Carroll and et cetera. And it's all Jack Hermanson saying, I'm going to take this guy down. I'm going to beat him up on the ground. I, I welcome a ground battle with Jacare Souza, and you you just kind of read those and laugh like, all right, buddy, good luck with that, man. <laughs> and he did it. The crazy man actually did it. Like I, I I was stunned by that performance, man. Everything you just said, and the fact that he had that arm in guillotine, it was so close. I was um, I was sitting there like this can't. I mean, it's surreal almost. It's almost surreal to see something like that um, in in live action. I will say this, you know. One of the reasons they have to keep finding stars, the UFC has to keep finding stars, because the guys who are coming up, the guys who still don't have respect, the guys who don't have a name yet, they fight 
hungry, you know, like they're, they're get, they're better. The parody is better. They're, they're better uh, versed in every, you know, in every offensive position, every defense position. They, they know the techniques they're better versed than ever, but they're hungry. And I feel like when you see these guys like that, man, the dude is just hungry. He wanted to go out there and put on a show when he did. And he wanted to show that he could do that. You know, some of those things against a guy in his own wheelhouse and, uh, and, and execute, and show you just how good he is, what the depths are of him. And I feel like we've been seeing that a lot lately, man. Even the Israel Adesanya having to dig deep in that in that fight against Gaslam was very revealing um, in its own sense because we knew a lot about him. We didn't know that he could dig that deep. You know, that was the new revelation um, and pull that one out. And even Gaslam kind of showing that he had that fight in him to last and go through that kind of battle. These guys, man, I love it. I love it. It's a, that's, that's the hardest thing about being a veteran is, you know, you've done it so often. You go through your routines. You figure out a way. But keeping the hunger factor there, that's the toughest thing. And um, So when you see these new guys come along, man, it's um, it's always a little more eye-opening, a little more exciting because you know that they still have that thing in them that's glowing, you know, that they're, they're, they want to show everybody. And uh, he's right there right now. I feel like we're going to probably see him doing that for a little while to come. Yeah, and to answer the the question of our our good reader here, uh, Greb seventy seven, the matchups there for uh, for him right there now seem very. I mean, I I like all of those. He seems like a very tough style matchup for with his combination, like I said, of length, defensive jujitsu, and offensive ground and pound, but also just that creative, active striking style. That seems like you could give problems to a lot of the guys at the top of this division, especially because of the way he seemed to suck uh suck all of the energy out of jacare like he really melted him over the course of the last few rounds and just sucked all the life out of him uh and, and with that suffocating style i like any fight for him right now i know whitaker and and adesanya are, are probably going to go at it in, in australia for the unification fight it seems like yoel romero and paulo costa are probably fighting as well uh other than that kg like you said kelvin gaslam's out there also what do you think of this chuck Maybe this is a bit of a step down, but it is a good stay busy fight, and he might get an Israel type of bump with this. What about the winner of next week's fight between Jared Cannonier and Anderson Silva? That occurred to me. Um, I don't know. So, so you, what you need in a fight like that, honestly, is Anderson Silva to look. I don't think you're going to get it, but you need him to kind of like remind everybody to, that what you know that he can still do it. If he comes in there and he uh, he looks really good and he styles a little bit on uh, Cannonier, you could see a situation where. Uh, her, Hermanson might get something more out of that. Um, I suppose that the the opposite end is if Kennedy goes in there and does the same to Silva at that point, I suppose you might be able to get a little shine off of that matchup. Um, but I, I think that I, I think it would seem like a step back, even if he did that. I think that that would seem like a step back. But if Anderson Silva somehow, I could see that. I could see that. If Anderson Silva somehow looks good, that would be a that'd be a very interesting matchup. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, my last question before we move on. This kind of feels like the end of Jacare's run as a title contender, does it not? I mean, he he's getting up there in age. He even said it himself uh, that he's more or less putting his career, his stake in his career on this fight, and it did not work out for him. He seems to be the snake-bitten fighter at, at 185 where he, every time he should have gotten a title shot, something else was going on. In your mind, if he never gets one, does he go down as the best fighter to ever not get a title shot in the UFC? To not get a title shot, yeah. See, there's guys who have not won a title, but they actually got title shots. You know, like a Dan Henderson. There's a, there's there are guys like that that always come to mind. But to not get a title shot, he might just be. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Um, I think the go-to for a long time was Mike, Mike Bisbing, and right. he, and that. Yeah, of course, we saw what happened with him. I just don't see a, his uh, Jacare's age. 
how that how there's a path to that now. It would have to be like a late fallout where somehow it just aligns perfectly where he gets a shot, kind of like what Bisping did. Um, I just can't see it, but it's a shame too, man, because I feel like he's a, you know, he's a very quiet guy. You know, he likens himself to a reptile essentially. So he's <laughs> he's uh, he's not exactly out there just smiting his chest and calling people out, but he's he's just quietly bided his time and then just took care of business all, for so long, going all the way back. Man, watching him in Strike Force and even before then, uh, remember the up kick from Musasi back in the day. I mean, he, the, the guy's been around forever, and so. My heart goes out to him a little bit, man, because I'm like, you know, there's a guy who just I think he was on the cusp of having a title many, many, many times. And he just never could get um, never could get to the the UFC's um, title fight. So I feel for him, man, and I don't see it happening for him at this point. So I think that at this point, if he continues on, uh, I hate that word gatekeeper. I know people (laughs) say that type of thing, but he would be I think he would. That's where he's at at this at this point. He'd be it'd be a hell of a gatekeeper, but I think that that's who that's what he's at at this point. Yeah, man, it's it's sad and unfortunate, but I think I kind of have to agree with you, which is a very Shakare deserved better. I mean, he there were so many times where he deserved that title shot and it just never came to him. Uh, but let us move on. Let us continue. And this next question is coming from another one from Jay DeLuca. Jay, you've really got to shorten these questions. I'm gonna try to abbreviate this a little bit. Uh, one championship's new bizarre agent policy. Hi, Shaheen and Chuck. One announced this week that they are introducing a mandatory agent certification program under their organization as all agents or managers wishing to work with one athletes have to undergo a stringent uh, and aberrant approved checklist, uh, et cetera, et cetera. One of the rules is a minimum of 10 years of related experience, college or university degree, current resident in Asia for at least one year. Uh, Chatri, the CEO of one, noted how slight expect, uh, exceptions could be made in some cases, uh, yet his new policy system is being met with a high degree of criticism from the MMA community. Uh, and additionally, which is this is worth noting, he announced the launch of one elite agency with this being a, quote, invitation-only sports agency reserved for the top 10% of athletes in one who show the biggest global hero promise. Uh, in response to this, Malki Kawa stated, "That's that part's stupid, and I think that's a big conflict of interest. They shouldn't have done that. What is your take on these bold decisions from one? Oh, man. That's a side of the game, too, that's um, it's it's so controversial in general because there are a lot of scumbags. There always have been, though. There always have been in the fight game. There's always been a uh, – the, perifer- the periphery is very dark and dirty when you kind of, you know, start searching around. So you can uh, you can understand the sentiment of trying to uh, to put something in place to filter this a little bit, and um, I guess. But at the same time, I'm, those stipulations are kind of ridiculous. If, you, if, it, if one was only dealing in Asian-based – fighters and that you know everybody's basically out there but it'd be one thing because you you think okay that's not really that big of a deal to have to live in in asia for a year uh that's a that's a crazy ask though when you have north american fighters and you're in the free agent pool they've been signing free agents uh bringing them over most of those guys that are coming over from the ufc or where or uh, belt or whatever have north american representation so it's very um that seems very strange to me because that excludes all of them. And then you get to hearing about, well, I think they're going to make some exceptions for these guys and these guys. Well, then it becomes like you're just you're, you're filtering out then uh, a selective basis based on um, what subjectivity again. I don't know. So it's like it, it 
it's a very complicated sort of thing. But I would say on whole, I kind of understand where they're coming from. If you deal with uh, you deal with these these guys a little bit, um, you understand the kinds of characters who sometimes are are representing these fighters. And I think I saw I read somewhere too where you know a lot of these guys don't have professional uh, management. They have family. They have guys that they've just known. And I feel like that. I like that homegrown sort of organic element to it because that's the guys, you know, there, there are people who do, they can only trust uh, with their business transactions, the people that they love, you know, the people that are around them all the time. So I feel like this is very, it could be very exclusionary for those types of people because they're talking about having uh, you know, a degree and living in Asia, all those different things. I feel like that might be a little much. Yeah. I think I agree with you uh, there. A little much is a good way to put it to me. This feels like a very, I want to choose my words carefully, but a very self-serving decision disguised with a veil of altruism, if that makes sense. And yep. that that's also kind of one's MO, right? Like is, is making these sort of sweeping uh, statements or movements or, or decisions and then hiding it behind a veil. Four billion people that watched the last event. Yeah, right. It's such a It's such a crazy number. How could they possibly get that? Uh, but making these sort of decisions and then hiding it under the veil of, you know, this is best for our athletes. This is best for the sport. Our athletes are mag magicians. They're they're most the most powerful people on the planet, etc. Um, yeah, no, you, especially with the the creation of the one agency itself, it feels like this is just a way to funnel people into a a less than ideal negotiating position with this company. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I mean, it's just, um, especially that side of it, especially that side of it. I'm like, um, there's obvious uh, conflicts of interest and stuff like that. And um, I really don't think, I really don't think that that's going to hold up. Yeah. I mean, you, you get prospects from, a, a, say, Brazil or, or Canada or Europe or, or wherever they're coming from. They're probably managed by their coach. Or, or by someone who who's related to the gym or, you know, some other outside factor, they can't be part of this organization now unless they ditch their management so that you can deal with someone that you are more comfortable with that. To me, that doesn't, that is overstepping bounds tremendously. Sounds like, it sounds like the one um, championship heads are trying things, you know, because we've seen the UFC basically do <laughs> things like this, not quite like this, but similar in scope to what they're attempting. And I, I'm glad that there's an actual backlash to it and some and some thoughts to this kind of thing, because I feel like the that side of the game is um, fans don't generally get too stuck on those types of things, but they should. If they care about the fighters and they care about what all the things that are going on, you should you should think about all these things and uh, what each implication is. That's too much nuance, Chuck. I don't, I don't know that people are worried about that much nuance. Fans generally don't don't care for fighters, it seems. Not all yeah. of you guys. I love I love some of you, but some of you kind of suck. Ah. Well, <laughs> some do. Some some say they do. Let's put it that way. Well, hey, let's move on. And oh my gosh, what do we have here? Uh, this is a question from the Brazilian beast himself, our own Guilherme Cruz. Hopping in the A-Side live chat podcast, this next one, he says, hey, guys, big fan here. Can Chuck please show us his hats? I mean, yeah, all of them. Obrigado. Thank you so much for Guillerme for popping in. Chuck, show off your hats. Well, you know, uh, I just showed you guys my hat. 
I have other hats, but uh, that's kind of where I keep them. <laughs> I don't have that many. I've maybe got like 15 hats. Uh, One hat related question. How do you choose the hat of the day? Well, I, I was like, uh, there's a guy out here weeding my, uh, my, <laughs> my stuff. I have a, generally if I'm wearing like something dark, I wear something light. I don't like to match them really. So, uh, and then, you know, sometimes you want just a contrast. So you wear the blue hat, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, I honestly, it's for whatever hat I grab on my way out the door, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is hard hitting stuff. That is why people come to the A side. Uh, well, Hey, let's keep moving on. And this next question is another one. Jesus, Jay, another one from Jay DeLuca. He's getting three today. Uh, you guys, you guys need to up your question game so Jay DeLuca is not monopolizing it. Uh, he is asking about John Fitch's alarming words post fight press conference. Hi, Shaheen and Chuck. I love that all of his start with hi, Shaheen and Chuck. It's very direct. Uh, during John Fitch's post fight press conference on Saturday for Bellator, he stated how prior to his Jake Shield fight in December 2016, he had a quote, bad brain scan. And then he would stop competing in the sport if he lost a fight uh, with Shields. Irrespective of Fitch losing or winning, he has now four, fought four times since 2016. How is this possible for him to compete with WSOF, now PFL, and Bellator allowing him to do so with no medical or ethical interference with state, license, state fighter licensing in regards to his brain scan claim? Uh, fighters are required to pass medical tests, etc., uh, especially major MMA. Uh, well, something is patent, especially becomes overlooked. This question's kind of getting all over the place, but correspondingly, Rashad Evans was rightfully prevented from competing in instances obtaining a license based on his MRI results, uh, i.e., Brad bad brain scans. Love to get your take on this. Uh, so really quickly, Chuck, I mean, John Fitch at the end, uh, after his fight against Roy McDonald. Spoke about this, about how that was going to be the end for him whenever he loses his next fight because of this bad brain scan. I'm not going to lie. That's the first I had ever heard of it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if he's he had spoken about that publicly before, but what is your take? I mean, I remember when that happened as well, and I, it's very difficult. Rashad, bringing up Rashad is a good example of this too because, you know, they're, they're the guys where there was some kind of public knowledge. Either they were talking about it or, you know, it just came out through the commission essentially that there was a bad something showed up. And I feel like that that's always a weird thing. That's the one thing about fighting that you don't want to hear about, um, ultimately, especially when you're getting ready to watch a guy trade punches, is that there might be something wrong with their brain. And I, I would say that uh, John Fitch, when that all came out back in the day, uh, I guess it's been a couple years ago now, I thought that was probably it for him. Um, he's always been a very rational guy. He's competed for a long, long time. I felt like that might be it for him. Um, and I'm, I was kind of surprised, honestly, that he's still going. And I, to be completely honest, man, I, I assumed <laughs> that he'd been cleared uh, basically over time, like that, that you know, nothing was, uh, they weren't finding anything definitive and basically he was okay to fight. That's the way I kind of understood it. But I would say that the stigma of having to worry about that at all or that there might be something there doesn't go away. Once, once that guy has something like that, I feel like every time I hear John Fitch's name or you know he's going to fight, that's the first thing that goes into my my mind, you know, is a, a guy like that um, rattling themselves further. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a difficult question to answer because I would I would like to hear more from John Fitch about what bad brain scan actually means because like got, that's the problem is he hasn't really followed up publicly like what's going on with that, right? Yeah, because 
before every fight, these guys, for regardless of whether you're doing anything for a bad commission, a good commission, anybody. I mean, the California State Athletic Commission is one of the best in the country. Andy Foster does tremendous work. Uh, they have to get CT scans. They have to get cleared. They have to get all of the their mental faculties uh, checked and cleared. So he has obviously had multiple CT scans and you know brain scans since then, and nothing seems to have turned up. So I guess for me, I would be curious what bad brain scan actually means. It's hard to comment on it otherwise. I mean, the, the doctors so far have found him fit to compete. So that's it's, right. It's difficult for me to say that he's not. The stigma remains. Like you hear somebody something like that, it's hard not to think about it when they're going into their fight. That's the problem. You know, I remember what was it, Mark Hunt, um, with that Players Tribune type piece or whatever, he see, he mentioned some very alarming things that he thought he was uh, going through, like short term memory, weird things. And you're like, in the fight game, man, you hear that stuff, and unfortunately, it sticks with you because that's something that's the one thing. Uh, that you have to guard most against and that you're most concerned with is uh, doing damage to your brain. So um, you got to be very careful with what you leak out there. And I suppose you got to follow through. If you do say something like that at some point, you know, just for the humanity of it, you'd like to know what's going on with guys like John Fitch. You'd like to hear, you know, uh, some professional who's examined it, give you a better explanation. But until we kind of get that, you have to just go with what the doctors say in these situations. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, hey, let's keep it going. We have a lot of green questions to get to still, so we'll try to get to all of them. Uh, this next question is coming from our good friend Lodovic, who wants to know uh, a little bit about Greg Hardy. Gentlemen, he writes, how do I put this? Did you feel embarrassed to be an MMA fan watching the co-main event on Saturday, just like I did? I think that's one way to put it. Uh, I wanted to believe MMA was becoming a well-established sport with at least some level of integrity. He writes, putting an NFL outcast against the kind of bum who's fighting for 10K as co-main event makes me feel the sport is not getting anywhere. Also, does it really help the UFC? Uh, I get that this kind of novelty gets you casual viewers for single event, but I also think you're losing hardcore view fans who will otherwise turn in or tune in regularly. Uh, it is difficult to care about divisions and rankings when the UFC clearly doesn't, isn't it? What do you think? Is the UFC overestimating the value of these publicity stunts over actually developing their assets? Or is it just me being a European and that's not understanding the real impact of having WWE and NFL celebrities on the card? Uh, so Chuck, Greg Hardy continues to be in our lives. He made an appearance last weekend uh, in the co-main event. Once again, now his second time in a row, he is the co-main event after losing his UFC debut, nonetheless. Uh, and he gets his first UFC win. Also comes out yesterday, I've reported, uh, yeah, it was yesterday, uh, that he also made 150 grand for his first UFC win, which was one of the highest salaries on the entire card. He made more than Jack Hermanson. Um, were you embarrassed to watch that, I guess, if we're going to go with this, uh, go off of this question's premise? Embarrassed is a stranger. I mean, if you follow this game long enough, I'm not sure I get embarrassed anymore by anything that goes. <laughs> That's, that <up>. yes. <laughs> but I would say that, you know, what would you say? Like, there's, there's a part of me that, man, I just don't get it. I don't understand why they have to put him in a co-main event. I don't understand, uh, you know, the best you can say about him is he's a green fighter. He's still learning the aspects of the game. So, what is the best case scenario? The best case scenario is that he did exactly what just happened. He knocks a guy out who he should knock out because the guy probably had no business in there, being in there. But if he fights anybody who has any real chops, I, I'm telling you right now, I don't think Greg Hardy lasts as long as that guy did against Greg Hardy. I mean, 
He's just not there yet. So my concern, obviously, is that if we establish what UFC caliber means, we have to kind of uphold it to an extent. I feel like he's not really UFC caliber, which then, you know, kind of uh, peels back this whole other layer of why. Why are we, you know, it didn't help like back in the day when uh, Herschel Walker was fighting, what was his name, Greg Nick, Greg Nagy or whatever, uh, you know, 2011. Yeah. It didn't, it wasn't like having that spectacle or that uh, novel uh, piece was going to generate billions of people to watch it or tons of money. It just, it doesn't really work that way. Not to mention you have a guy who literally is polarizing for a lot of fans. I think that he draws more disdain than just about any fighter going and it's it's what because he has the nfl credentials i i really don't understand it i guess i don't really understand i don't understand his pay you know at 150 versus you know i don't understand any of that sort of thing so if the the ufc had only just said okay look we're going to put him on the main card maybe the pivot bout or maybe the first fight okay there's really no question about but the co-main event should be people who are you know, deserving, I think. I got in a lot of hot water about this topic when I wrote about Artem Lobov not deserving basically a <laughs> uh, a, uh, a co-main event in his last UFC fight. And uh, that turned into this, <laughs> into this big, into this big thing. But I'm like, Artem Lobov has about 10 times the credentials that Greg Hardy does. So that gives you an idea of how, what I think about um, Greg Hardy being in the co-main event. He shouldn't be there. Yeah. I mean, you you mentioned in your answer that UFC level, what is UFC level anymore? I would humbly submit to you that UFC level doesn't mean anything anymore, right? Like we we I feel like we have just thrown that out at this point. And perhaps it was the CM Punk experience. I mean, Mike Jackson, our good friend Mike Jackson, I don't mean any yeah. disrespect, but I feel like UFC level stopped meaning something uh, a while ago. And this is sort of this is sort of the long lasting ramifications of it, right? Where we are, it's obvious what the UFC is doing. And I mean, anecdotally, I think it works to some degree. I don't understand the fascination either, just like you don't. But I know other people that do certainly. Just anecdotally, I was not watching the fights on Saturday. I was I was or at least live. I, I was at a friend's thirtieth uh, birthday party, but there was a TV on where we were at with the fights on and. Throughout the entire night, not one person stopped and watched the fights at all, except for Greg Hardy. And the moment Greg Hardy got on, there was a pool of maybe eight to ten people who actually, all guys, who all kind of joined around the TV and watched for a minute or two minutes. And I think that's just anecdotally what it is, right? Like He has name recognition that Jack Hermanson or somebody else won't. For for bad reasons, it's not for good reasons that he has this name recognition, but it is still a notoriety of note. And people will tune in, even if I don't get it, even if you don't get it. We're not the target audience in this case. There's just more to it, though. Um, I mean, that's good. It's good to know stuff like that, because maybe sometimes uh, you get a little stuck in the bubble of MMA and you think only in terms of how the internal inside the bubble is thinking about it. Right. But the casual fan obviously becomes a whole different scenario, but why, you know, what, what's to say then that Logan Paul shouldn't be in the UFC or that, uh, you know what I mean? If you, where, where's the line then? And I, I feel like this is, this is really where the, you know, it, it gets a little bit puzzling. Cause I'm like, I, okay, he went through the contender series. He was able to knock some guys out. I'm not saying he he's, he's, he's not showing talent. Obviously the guy clearly wants to be a mixed martial artist and he's doing fairly well at that level 
I'm just like tone it back from the from the comment from the comment. You'd still get that same audience if it's like um, if it's the first fight, right? If it's the first fight on the main card. So why not just put him on the first fight? And um, well, you know, he he is he is the Michael Jordan of combat sports, you know. <laughs> and then they get into this stuff, the hyperbole that starts to come out. I don't know. This is uh, I I used to I, I did a whole piece once on celebrity boxing. For this very, you know, it's like these guys when Screech is fighting a Horshack or something like that. I'm like, if it's just a person that you recognize from somewhere else, and all of a sudden, you're like, what is he going to do? Or you want to see him get his ass kicked? I get it. I get this layer of the game, but it's a it's a very strange layer of the game, um, at least to spotlight in that way. Let's put it that way. I don't know what the best case scenario for the UFC and Greg Hardy is. Is it that he, you know, he goes on and he realizes a dream and becomes a champion? Because I'm not sure, I don't know how this would play out, but I honestly don't believe that his redemption story would be like this big triumphant thing no, for the yeah. fan base. So you just take that into consideration and you're like, this seems just very, very myopic. Like we're, we're, uh, it almost seems stubborn, honestly, by Dana White. It almost seems like a stubborn. Uh, no way. Dana White stubborn? I, I don't, I, that's crazy talk. Yeah. <laughs> well he's digging his heels in pretty good on this one I, I just think it's one of those um it's one of those strange things but kudos to hardy for going out there and getting his first victory i'm not going to take it away from him but um that fight embarrassing is the wrong word but that fight was certainly it was one of those ones that sets things back a little bit you see a guy just get hit and he wants out of there and you're like oh man not this because it just it seems like the old belt the old strike force there was fights like that in Strike Force. There were fight. There's fights like that on regional cards, where you see a guy who has kind of a name and he just destroys the other guy. I'm like, eh. it's a setup. No, fight. It, it's yeah, no, no. There's there's nothing good about that in the end, you know. So I mean, kudos for the win, and hopefully the next one gives him a little bit more of a challenge. I, I guess my my last thing I would say about this is, I'm obvious. I, I I'm on record saying that I don't really agree with him being thrust into this position. Maybe if you want to give him opportunity, that's. One thing, but if you're going to try to push him as a star when he's clearly not ready and he also doesn't deserve it in any capacity, like that's, I don't agree with that. But if we just take that at face value and we accept that that's the situation and we sort of move forward with that, the hand wringing over the the setup fight, which was basically what that was, and that the level of opposition he's getting, that to me doesn't make a ton of sense because. This is kind of what the UFC should be doing if this is the guy that they've targeted as, hey, we're going to make this guy into something. That's how you do it. That's how you build somebody up is you give him these type of fights. The The matchmaking itself, I don't have a problem with if you have already reached that point of accepting that this is the situation that we're dealing with. The matchmaking in and of itself makes a lot of sense to me, actually, and it seems more sure. or less correct. It's just you don't need to, by putting it in the co-main event, you are attracting this sort of conversation that you just don't want generally if, if he's if there's 13 fights on this card i don't know how many fight how many fights are on that card if he's if there's 13 fights either he should be kicking off the main card or should maybe closing one of the prelim sections uh, yeah. something like that i that's where he needs to be that's my, honestly that is my only gripe about it. i completely agree that's the caliber of fighter he should have got at that moment um if, if that fight is the fifth fight of the night rather than you've waited six, seven hours to get to this point and this is the last one before the main event, I feel like it's received tremendously differently than, again, waiting the entire day to watch Greg Hardy smoke some guy who didn't deserve to be in there. <laughs> There's not a lot of satisfaction in that, you know? Yeah. Also, I will say, if I'm if I'm Jack Hermanson or I'm a guy who's been in this 
promotion for a long time. Mike Perry, even and Alex Oliveira, someone who goes out there and leave it all, leaves it all on the line. And I see Greg Hardy's making 75 and 75 for his first <laughs> UFC win. I am point. making some phone calls to my manager and I am upset because that, that is a great point, man. Not, I mean, a lot of those guys, especially that Oliveira, Mike Perry, if I come on, man, those guys have the dog in them. They both go in there and just, it was ridiculous. You knew it was going to be that way. And uh, I don't know what they made. You probably know that. I know you deal with the salaries a little more than yeah. I do. But, they uh, both made less. Oliveira made in the 60, 60 and 60 range. And Mike Perry was like 55, 55. Yeah. It's I, yeah, speechless, man. I don't know what to say about that sort of thing. I, I, I would I would just be making phone calls to my manager because at that point it's just yeah. like make your money. I'm not gonna ever be mad at anybody in this sport where nobody makes money. I'm not gonna be mad at somebody for making money, make that money. But I'll be making phone calls to my manager. I'll be very upset. Uh let's move on. We still got a lot to get to. And so let's oh, this next one's gonna be good. It's coming from Rob Holland. Chuck's first round of true or false on the A side. Ooh. So we like to have these occasionally, Chuck, a little quick round of a lightning round if you will of true or false uh and so first one true or false rory mcdonald wins the tournament and then retires despite his fresh contract i'm gonna say false um i, I could see a scenario where he wins the tournament but you, you mentioned earlier the guy's 29 years old and he's still still going through his process of discovery i think he'll find it in him probably at some point to uh, to want to continue i wouldn't be surprised the other way but i'm gonna i'll say false I'm gonna say false, but for a different reason. I don't think he wins this tournament. Yeah, I think I think he'll get by Neiman Gracie just on pure veteran guile and experience, and and he just knows the right things to do. But if you're going into a a finals matchup against likely Douglas Lima, who is one of the most violent welterweights on this planet Earth, and you are just not sure whether this is something you want to do, that to me seems like a setup for a bad bad time. That is a great point. He's going to have to uh, find it in him to want to win that fight, man. You can't go in there uh, kind of half-hearted on that one. Yeah, I mean, the first Roy McDonald versus Douglas Lima fight was a bloodbath, and I don't know if Roy doesn't want another one. <laughs> That's not the right man to do it. Uh, next up, true or false, Stipe knocks out Daniel Cormier, and then they do the trilogy fight right after. Well, if they if he does knock out Cormier, I think that that's true. I think that Cor, uh, Cormier is one of those guys who wants to redeem himself. We've seen that with the John Jones thing. So I, I think that that was sticking his crawl a little bit, and he'd want that back. I think false. I don't think Stipe will knock out DC. He might win, but I don't think he'll knock him out. Uh, but if that were to happen, I would think the trilogy fight would be right after next year. Uh, next one. In the future, we will see Greg Hardy versus the Black Beast. True or false? Man. Um, I'll say false, but only because we're talking a we're we're talking about a pretty huge gulf still between those two guys. I think that Greg Hardy's going to have to prove that he belongs there, and he's obviously in a uh, a situation where he's going to be going against guys who can knock him out. He's going to have to he's going to have to get better, and he's going to have to get there. Or uh, Derek Lewis is going to have to fall fall off so much where that becomes a fight. But I'll say false. I'll say false too. Uh, but. If Greg Hardy gets any kind of momentum, that feels like the type of fighter that they would throw him against, right? If there is a contender uh, who is maybe not any sort of grappling-based contender that, that you can guarantee it's going to be a slugfest, it's the Black Beast. And that seems like the type of fight that Greg Hardy could actually, not right now at all, but down the line, if he develops, have a chance. And if the UFC is trying to advance him up the ranks, that feels like something they could do. So, so yeah. I'm going to say true. I think we'll see that at some point. Uh, 
Ferguson versus McGregor is in the making as we speak. True or false? I'm going to say false on that. I don't. That's yeah, I say it. false because I honestly believe that uh, Ferguson is just not there yet. I don't think he's. I don't think he's back. And then, of course, McGregor is just too. He's who knows, man. But I'll say false. I, yeah, I, I say false just because I don't think Connor would ever even accept that fight ever. I don't think ever. he would either. That is a terrible stylistic matchup for Connor. I do not think he wants it. What's that? He needs a win, not another loss. Yes. Uh, next up, Jermaine Durandamy will never again fight for a belt, even after defeating everyone they put in front of her. I'd say, oh. so if she, they're saying hypothetically, if she wins a bunch of fights, that she, she still could never get back to it. I would say true. I think that uh, they're pretty spurned by her. I think she'd be cut like at the first sign of trouble. I, 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 don't, I, I can't see her getting a title shot again in the UFC. As unlikely as it is, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say false. I think, or maybe yeah, never fight. No, yeah, I'm gonna say false. Yeah, I'm trying to understand the premise. Uh, she, if you look at it, is not that far away from bantamweight title contention. She is probably one fight away from being the one of the next, if not the next, contender at 135. So I actually think it could happen sooner rather than later. So, um. I feel like the UFC holds it against her. You never know, man. You never know. I could see. I guess I could see it that way if, if it happens, but it's going to be an uphill battle for her. Yeah, can you imagine that announcement? Uh, <laughs> two left, true or false, Anthony Smith fights and beats Luke Rockhold in 2019 at light heavyweight. I hope it happens, but uh, I hope the fight happens. Um, I'm going to say false, though. I, I love Anthony Smith, and I think he would give Rockhold a really good fight. But I think Rock, I, I'm I'm anticipating that Rockhold's going to look better at his new weight. Um, just projecting, and I think that uh, he'll be too much of a handful at that weight for him. I'm going to say true. I think they I think that's absolutely the fight to make, regardless of whatever happens with either of these men in these next fights. Uh, yeah. They want it. I want it. And I think Anthony Smith could surprise some people, though. Although who knows? Luke Rockhold might become a murderer once again at heavyweight. <laughs> That'd be a great fight. I'd love to find out. Yeah, absolutely. Same. And then last one coming from Rob Holland. Uh, Tyron Woodley loses to Robbie Lawler and will not move to middleweight yet. If he loses, I think he goes to middleweight. You, so you think that would be the end of the welterweight road? I think so. I don't know where. I mean, I think he kind of wants to stay vital to a picture, a you know, a title picture. So I don't think that he would be anywhere near that at that point at welterweight. So probably a new, a new uh, landscape would be right for him. Yeah. Uh, I'll say false, but I just say false because I don't think Tyron Woodley will lose to Robbie Lawler, but <laughs> that's why they fight the fight. So we shall say we're saying false just to say false. <laughs> uh, all right. Next few ones uh, should be quickies. Uh, this next one's coming from speed sped ed pen E. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's probably a joke there that I'm not getting. Uh, hey, fellas, I was wondering, how does your pay structure work? Okay. Uh, do you get paid by the article, by how many live events you go to, shows like this, or the beat? Uh, is it just an hourly wage or salary? I don't want to know how much you actually make. It is just something I've always wondered. Thanks. Uh, I'll, I can just feel this one really quickly. I think both you and I are on salary, Chuck. No, I get $15 per article. <laughs> no, it's both it's salaried. Yeah, we're both on salary. I, I think it varies generally for the industry. Maybe that's kind of what you meant. Um, I definitely know some people at other websites who get paid by article, by project. Um, I don't know anybody who's on hourly. That would be more of like 
desk shifts and et cetera, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it exists. Uh, but yeah, generally I think most full-timers. Well, with freelancers, in Freelan- freelancers in general, I think are more per article. Um, some people have an actual word count that they're supposed to meet per month, like retainer type things, but everybody's deal is different. But uh, speaking about us, we're salary positions and full-time. Yeah. Uh, and next, next question is coming from Milo of Croton, uh, who says Chuck's writing. Sean, Chuck, great to see this combo. Chuck's writing is amazing. I love how colorful his language is. I agree with you, sir. Uh, does Chuck have any writing tips on how he can come, how he does come up with his particular style of writing? Example, in his recent Overeem article, he writes, that's the latest wrinkle, wrinkle in Overeem's story career. He has some hard asses barking at him. Uh, when another writer might have said Overeem has a long career and has had a long career in a tough division or something playing to that effect. Thank you. Uh, Chuck, the people <laughs> want to know about your, your, your skills here. Man. Um, well, thank you for that. I, uh, to be honest, I've been doing it for so long that you try to stay away from what, you know, basically wording things exactly the same as anybody else might, you know, you try to add the color to it, I guess a little bit and stylize it, but Ultimately, I, you know, I always feel like you should just be who you are. You, you try to write. I'm more of a columnist. If I'm writing a news piece, and I've done that too, but uh, you're certainly not trying to stylize it. You're not trying to do anything that would be overly you know, personal to what you're doing. But if you're giving your opinion in a column or you're writing a feature of some kind, um, race, get to your points, make your points, but you should add as much color to it as you want. You know, I, I just feel like it's kind of finding your own voice in the, in the process. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, we are running low on time, so let's try to breeze through these last ones. <laughs> this next right. one's coming from Trumbo, who says, in honor of the new era of the A-Side Live Chat podcast, Chuck should do a shoey. Uh, <laughs> yes, he should. How, yes, do you, should. how do you block Trumbo? No. <laughs> uh, honestly, I saw Mark do that. We watched it recently, and um, I don't know if I could do that. That's pretty disgusting. I like beer and I like shoes, but separately, I don't like, uh, I don't really like them together. What about something out of a hat? Would you do that? Oh, I just think that the beer wouldn't hold it. I could suppose what kind of hat it is. I, yeah, I could do a hattie. I could do a hattie. Like a really well-worn, old, frayed-up hat? That seems, <laughs> that seems more on brand that, for you. That, like, see, this is what everybody wants. They want it to be something disgusting. So uh, I guess... Uh, a, a worn out hat would be as bad as like a, a shoe, I guess, but uh, not, <laughs> not better. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days I'm going to do a shoe. We shall see. Yeah. Uh, and then this last question coming from the MMA fighting page, then we'll move to, over to Twitter. Uh, what's next for platinum Mike after beating Cowboy Oliveira is Mike Perry ready for his step up? Say the winner of Magni versus Luke. Y'all just going to not let Vicente Luke advance up these ranks. It's ridiculous. Uh, or is he better suited to fight, say, the winner of Bam Bam Barbarina versus Randy Brown? That's an interesting one. I like uh, the, latter, the latter option. I think he's got to take it a little. Easier. Remember, the guy's like, I think he's only like two and three in his last five fights. But I, he's a guy who will fight anybody, clearly. I mean, he'll go and fight him. But if you really want to try to get him on a head of momentum and, uh, and kind of, you know, milk his unique brand of char- charisma and star power, I think that you got to give him a couple of fights he can that he's at his level. I don't want, you know, you don't want to see him thrown to wolves and just keep losing because eventually he, you know, all the charisma in the world, all those things would just kind of go away if he's losing more fights than he's winning. 
So yeah. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him with guys right now who would be competitive with him, but that who, who whom he could beat. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I actually really really like the Barbarina fight. I hadn't considered that. Question. Yeah. Um, because he's tough, man. That cat can fight. So. Oh, he's incredibly tough. He's one of the toughest men I've ever seen. He walked into Baby Shark at UFC Phoenix and put on one of the fights of the year. And uh, he's a prospect. Like, he kills the guys with the hype, the buzz, right? He's a buzz buzz guy. He kills those guys off. Yeah. And also, just the dynamic between the personalities. Brian Barberina is very low-key, and, and Platinum Mike is very outspoken. I think it would be an interesting... Perrin, I like that. I like that fight a lot, actually. I agree with you. You got to build him up. Let it. Let him get some momentum going. He is a fan favorite already. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, hey, that clears the MMA fighting page. We're going to now move over to Twitter, get as many of these as we can, and then we'll get to the promo, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, and we appreciate you guys for sticking with us. Uh, let us look on the Twitter machine. Let me see if we can find something. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this weekend. And this is coming from our good buddy, Dan Shapiro, who says, mm. now that there's finally some order being restored to the lightweight division, can we go ahead and sign up the winner of Saturday's Cowboy Cerrone versus Rage and Al main event to fight Justin Gaethje? Oh, man. Um, I would have no uh, objection to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you think about like a Gaethje Cerrone fight and it's kind of... Cerrone's fought everybody. I mean, just the fact that they would accommodate each other in the ways that you know would make for a, a ridiculous fight. I feel like that's anybody Gaethje fights, really. But um, no, I wouldn't have an objection with that either way. Even if, you know, Iaquinta, it wouldn't matter to me. I actually think that's probably the fight. I, I, I spoke to Al yesterday, and he he's taking a, a view that I think is probably a good way to take when, you, when you're in a division like this where it's so log jammed and backlogged where it's just, I'm not even, he, his view is, I'm just not even going to worry about this. Let them think the cards will fall wherever they fall. I'm going to just go ahead and fight Donald Cerrone this weekend, and then we'll figure it out from there. But right. if you if you look at that, realistically, the winner of that fight should be in some level of contendership. But yeah, we're not going to get Habib versus, versus Dustin until much later this year. Conor McGregor isn't fighting. Uh, Tony Ferguson deserves better uh i don't know also we we just don't know of his status yet the next man up is ally aquinta and justin gaethje when it comes to the rankings so it feels to me that that would probably be i don't want to call it a stay busy fight but it's probably just a hold your spot type of fight in a, a division as stacked as lightweight uh i i think gaethje probably should get the winner of this weekend's fight i i like that a lot and i think either way that that goes whether it's al or whether it's cowboy God damn, sign me up for that. Well, let me make a call. Get it <laughs> really quickly, Chuck, how you, how you see this weekend going with, with uh, uh, Rage and Allen in Cowboy? It's a good fight. Uh, I, I like the way Cerrone has looked. It's funny how he we always kind of start writing, writing him off, like maybe he's been around too long, he's starting to decline, and then he just bounces back. It'd be intriguing, man, because obviously I think Ally Quince is one of the toughest, toughest dudes in the division. So um, I think this will... This will be a tough, tough fight, but I, I got. I'm favoring uh, Raging Al on this one, man. I think that he's. I, I don't want to say underrated. He's just he's he's kind of been in and out of radar, and I feel like um, when he's on, though, he's just he's really on. I think people want to remember the Namagameda fight, but you just think about those circumstances. Um, you're, I kind of have to dismiss what happened in that fight and just remember everything else. So I think that that's uh, that's the guy we're going to see, the the best version of Raging Al, and. Uh, that dude is a tough out. 
Yeah, I mean, I just want to. I mean, look at the road we've gone through with Ray Janelle, right? Because how how long ago? Maybe four or five years ago, it seemed like he was done. Oh yeah, it seemed like he was on the way out. So even like three years ago, his body was betraying him. He was having all these knee issues. Uh, he seemed to be in an impassable contract standoff with the UFC. And now this is his third straight event that he has headlined. He is number four in the best division in the entire world. The turnaround is pretty damn remarkable. Uh, just just how how what he's been able to do over over these last year or two. Uh, go raging out, man! That that is a, a, a incredible work for to really make. Because I, I thought he we were at some point it really looked like he was never going to fulfill the promise as that guy that we thought he was going to be. And now he's out here doing it. So. I agree with you. I think he probably takes it this weekend, but it'll be yeah, fun to I, see. I discounted him all the way back when he lost in Toronto. Uh, Mitch, was it Mitch Clark? He lost that fight. It was like a weird, you're like, where did that come from? But since then, he's kind of just been on this uh, a steady roll. But uh, you're just uh, accepting the uh, the Ramagavana fight. If, if you just if he didn't take that fight, if he just stuck to his original fight, it's it's possible right now. Like his name is, you know what I mean? We're, we're clamoring for a a, a a title fight for him. So. Um, circumstances he had to do what he had to do but uh that guy is right there man when he's on he's on yeah a- absolutely absolutely uh also i mean even just in the in the kevin lee fight this last one for him i feel like there was still a large majority of the mma population doubting whether he belonged and yeah. i think it's pretty clear at this point that he definitely does belong um this next one's coming from natalie zamundio hopefully i said that right i don't think i did uh, who wants to know UFC will never allow crossover fights like Bellator does with Ryzen. But do you think we could ever see a UFC versus Bellator softball game for charity? Imagine the lineup possibilities. I'm going to say no. Uh, <laughs> it's not to say that the fighters themselves couldn't organize that. I don't think the UFC would actually, you know, stop them. So I think that as long as the fighters want to do that, I'm sure they could arrange something. If you if you're putting together a a UFC Bellator softball lineup and you can choose from either either pool of talent, who's like your cleanup hitter? Like who's the home run big power guy that you're just snagging and being like, oh, you're gonna get like ten RBIs this game? Wow. Well, you, oh, man, it, uh, you think of guys like uh, Ngannou or something, right? Like he looks like he would just uh, be able to to be able to do that. I don't know though. Because so many of those guys are very awkward with um you see yeah, you still gotta be able to run and, and yeah, throw stuff. Do all of that. I truly don't know, man. I don't know who I'd put in there. Right? Nobody just jumps to mind. I feel like there should be there's a maybe Stipe, right? Because he played he actually played baseball and um, that's a good one. I, yeah. I was thinking somebody maybe like a wideman, somebody with like a long frame who seems relatively athletic, but Stipe would be good. Yeah. Somebody like that. I don't okay. know about <laughs> <laughs> Uh Chuck Congo, man. Yeah. Uh, this one's coming from D. Piercy Comics. Can you ask Chuck how he feels about Gorin Bros? Flat caps? <laughs> I don't know what that is. I might have one. Uh, I, you know, I don't really... You know, it's funny. Uh, the Boston Scally guys are the best, I think. Like, they, they make these six panels, which is kind of the ones I like. Um, they, they're just those flat caps. I, I, those are my favorite. So if I had to endorse one of them, it's going to be them. But... Uh, Honestly, man, anybody who most places that make the style, even if they're not like these fancy, uh, expensive material ones, they're they're usually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, next one's coming from Dennis Soros, who wants to know what the Brock news is. The money era officially over. Is the UFC getting back to business in maintaining order 
what leverage do fighters have left for big paydays? I'm going to answer that with a resounding no. We just had a 10-minute conversation about Greg Hardy making 150K and being in the co-main event. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's all weird these days. And I feel like the, you know, like even just uh, Cormier getting that, no, you know, getting rebooked now into that uh, rematch with Miocic, even that fight, which in the original pay-per-view model, when it was the UFC running the pay-per-views, um, might not have been as desirable, but it, you can tell now that ESPN is running, you know, the pay-per-view part side of the business. These things I feel like we're going to see. The meritocracy may restore itself in a weird way, just given this. I don't feel like the same uh, onus will be on the UFC to make the matches. It'll just be they can make the fights if they're not the sexiest. They can go to plan Bs, and they don't have to stress about it as much as they might have uh, previously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's money era is going to go on and on and on. They're going to do what they want to do. Uh, and it's actually, this This is a nice little follow-up to that question. This is coming from Remote Matt, uh, who, I hadn't thought of this, but this is interesting. Could the new UFC pay-per-view model be the reason stars like Lesnar and McGregor are not fighting? Mm. Like the UFC business model just does not require them anymore. And that's actually a really interesting question because as we have seen, uh, and we still have yet to really get, figure out what this all means on a grander scale because we've only had UFC 236. But the UFC is making money, significant money, every pay-per-view they run now as if it was a successful pay-per-view from ESPN. Uh, and pay-per-view buys are probably going to get dramatically cut, especially for earning for guys who earn money off of those pay-per-view buys and earn the majority of their contract or majority of their paychecks from that. Uh, do you think there's any connection to that to this new switch and now people like a Brock Lesnar being like, you know, I'm I'm good. I do feel like the UFC no longer uh like these, I feel like in the in the generation of stars, right? Like you're trying to get these guys who are traditional pay per view uh, blockbuster guys. I feel like the UFC doesn't have to be as beholden to them anymore. Like they don't have to meet people um, with these ransom notes anymore. They don't have to do that anymore. I think uh, like a little bit that they can, they, the UFC can kind of go back to the way they want to do their business and make these fighters, regardless of where they're at in their stature at this point, come to them a little more. So I feel like the uh, UFC has kind of put the ball back in their, in their court a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, it's actually, that's actually a really interesting question. I'm going to dig into that a little bit uh, after the, after, after we, we get hang up because I mean, that there, there might be something to that. I mean, Brock Lesnar was the one thing that we know about him. He loves, he does like money. He loves his money. He loves his money. And if he in with him coming back to this new new space, this new situation that this has sort of worked out, probably wasn't going to make nearly as much money as he would have before unless he adjusted his contract to some degree about the pay-per-view stipulations and the points and everything. So I think there's very there there might actually be something to that. That is a very interesting point. Uh let's get a few more really quickly and then we'll get out of here. Uh let's see. Uh, here we go. This one's coming from our good friend Strike MX, uh, who says Chuck, or I'm sorry, uh, Cub Swanson has lost three in a row, and if he loses on Saturday to Shane Burgos, what happens to him? Should he go to Bellator One or PFL? Should he hang it up? Do you think he still has the skills to beat the top featherweights? Uh, and this is an interesting question, Chuck. Chuck or uh, Cub Minute, Cub Cub Minute, oh, Jesus. Uh, Cub Swanson. We've been talking an hour and a half. It's all running together. Uh, Cub Swanson has lost three in a row. 
good names, Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar, Renato Moicano, but still three in a row. He is now coming into this fight against Shane Burgos, who I believe you spoke to. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think? What do you make of this? I think he's at that slippery edge, man. I think uh, this particular one, because I, and I'm not, it's no knock on a guy like uh, Burgos, who's um, obviously very good, but he's more of a radar guy. He's just coming up into his own. Uh, so the other guys he was losing to are a little bit more established, obviously. I think that those are fights that everybody knew he could lose. If he loses this one, I feel like he's, you know, being there's some kind of bypass there going on. Like he's being bypassed by some of the, the younger guys coming up. And uh, at four four losses in a row, I know that the UFC likes him. They like his style. Like he's a guy you can plug in. Uh, you always say, oh, Cub Swanson's on the card. That's cool, you know. So I feel like it may not cost him his roster spot, but I think that as far as him being – you know, the old Cubs one, the guy that we've, you know, come to love since he debuted in, you know, the WEC way back like a decade ago. I just don't think that he'll, he'll have that anymore. I think that this will probably close the chapter on him as a contender for good. But, uh, but you know what, man, a big timely win for him uh, could do wonders too, man. Because he remember, he was on a nice streak before he hit this three-fight this three fight losing streak. He was doing really well. So um, this one, uh, this, this is a big fight for him, man. It's a crossroads fight for him. Crossroads fight. That's a, that's a good way to put it because you're right. I mean, I don't think – I know the UFC likes him a lot, and Dana White in particular likes him a lot. He's been very loyal to them. He's he's really done a lot of things that they've asked him to do. Uh, he, he never really got that title shot when he should have, uh, and they certainly remember that. So I don't think if he loses on Saturday that that would be the end of his UFC road. I think he's one of those cases where they will keep him in this, give him another shot, Hopefully he wouldn't make it five straight losses, but they would give him that last shot. Uh, but I mean, he is 35 years old. I agree with you. I don't know. I think his title window is, it has closed at this point. This featherweight division right now is, is brimming with young, talented, hungry guys like the Volkanovskis and the Magomed Sharipovs. It feels like it's sort of past cub by, which is unfortunate to say, but that's kind of the realities of, of this. It happens. The sport is merciless when it comes down to the guys that are coming up to replace you. Um, and we've seen it a million times and it will continue on that way. You know, that's why you got to get your money. You got to make your glory, whatever you're going to do and uh, get in and get out. The guys who have that mindset um, uh, are very, I mean, I feel like they're dialed in uh, Cody or was it in Corey uh, Sandhagen uh, just in his last fight. I remember talking to him and he was just like, you know what, man, it's I want to get in, get the biggest fights I can, make as much money as I can, and get back out before after a few years. And I feel like guys should probably look at, um, you know, having having a large a, a big picture in mind like that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I mean, I hope I'm wrong about Cub Swanson. I, I enjoy him greatly in this game. He is always a a, a very fun, entertaining fighter. He is always tremendously uh, generous with his time, and he's a very nice guy too. So I hope this isn't sort of the a turning point for him maybe he can he can write some wrongs on saturday but even if even if so i feel like he still has some mileage left in him if he wanted to do the bellator pfl type of route so we shall see uh and then last one let's do one last one and then we'll do the promo and then get out of here this one's coming from death metal and bitters uh it's an interesting name uh <laughs> after editing a skid what is your view on carla esparza she tr she talked joanna rematch and trying to contend but she's 31 had her best fi stretch five years ago and retooled her game to uneven results. What will a real comeback take, or is it impossible given this division? Oh man, I don't want to say impossible. You know, it's uh, <laughs> what do you think? I mean, I, I think that 
fight it's it's just it's it's fighting right so i feel like anything is possible but she got a hard i i'll say that the the because me and you were both there for her fight at ufc 228 in dallas against tatiana suarez yeah and that was demoralizing for her i mean that was like a bad one yeah that was a that was a really rough one because that was one of those fights where somebody is going right into your wheelhouse and just outclassing you in it and, yeah. and Tatiana Suarez just kabibed her. He, he, she manhandled her. And I think that sort of sets the ceiling of, of how far she can reach, right? Because it does feel, I think both of us agree that Suarez is probably the future in this division. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I mean, Carla has really revamped her game in a way that I have found surprising. And I was not sure that she could. Uh, she came out on Saturday and, and, you know, dominated a former Invicta champion. Uh, maybe not dominated, but she she did very well against a former invicted champion. Very smart. She was very smart in how she executed her game plan. You know, uh, she took what she was given like that. Sometimes you're like when you're trying to get back on track and make waves, you got to kind of do that a little bit. You yeah. try to you know, maybe you're not trying to showcase the aesthetic so much as just get the job done. And I felt like she reverted to that very well. Like she just kind of knew what she had to do and um, the takedowns and things like that. She took them where they were. So good for her, man, like kind of playing that game a little bit. Yeah, and, and if you even if you go back last year, she was inches, inches away from beating Claudia Gadelia and they fought at 225. So she is still absolutely a, a contender in this division. I just think the yeah. the upper upper tier of this division, the very, very tip top of it, it's gonna be hard for her to catch that. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, hey man, you did it. I did it. Did it. Your first A-side <laughs> live chat is almost in the books. We have one last order of business to get to and that is something we call the promo we just speak very briefly about something that is important to you something that maybe fell through the cracks uh and i would you would you like to go first or would you like me to go before you i will give this your, your choice seniority you go first all righty i will roll right now uh and i know i often like to do a little something positive speak about a positive story something like that uh unfortunately that's that's not the case this week um if you have not seen it yet by now, our own Guillerme Cruz had a story that released earlier this week about MMA veteran, grizzled veteran of the game, one of the old school OGs, uh, Babaluso Brow, Renato Babaluso Brow. And he was a, it was not a, a fun article. It was um, a little sad, a little depressing. He was more or less speaking about how he f- is starting to feel symptoms that he believes are CTE. Uh Obviously, the brain brain uh, disease that that is afflicting many football players, many boxers, uh, and we are starting to see it now seep into MMA as well. And you hope that what he is experiencing is not that, because that is very life ruining. Um, but also, it is a very somber reminder of what these all of these people do, all of these men and women are doing. Yes, for themselves, because this is what they enjoy and this is how they're making their money and some of them make very good money. But also for our own entertainment, every single weekend, all of these men and women are putting their lives on the line in a very, very real way uh, to entertain us. And I think that is something we need to keep in mind more often. Uh, some of the some of the quotes from Babalu in that story were uh, tough, tough to read. Um, I'll read one ex- excerpt. Quote, today I can't walk a straight line. I lost sight in my left eye, uh, which is a big price to pay. I have no balance, and my balance is almost zero. Uh, and I don't know his exact age, and I won't look it up on the fly because this is a live show, but I know 
he is too young to be experiencing things like that. Um, and he is worried about he will not be able to communicate and, and see his with his kids and see his kids grow up. And that is a very real fear. Uh, so let's everyone out there, man, let's just be more cognizant of, of what all of these people are sacrificing for us. Be nice to fighters on social media. They don't need your negativity. They just need your positivity. Uh, and that is my message for today. Read that story by Guillermo Cruz if you have not already. Tremendous work by him. Well done. Yeah, great. That's a that's an awesome. I did read that article, and uh, it's it's an unfortunate thing that's you know in our sport. And I do feel like in the age of social media, especially, man, it's like um, just stop once in a while and remember that because even that going back to our Rory McDonald talk, I think that that's a um, it's just something you you know when when you when you break it down, man, you remember that these guys. They're human beings and when they have families and uh everything else and it's uh it's tragic man when you hear those types of stories but it's inevitable and i think that that's what the fight game this fight game does that's part of the risk involved but for mine man it's my first time on the uh on this uh on this a side chat which was more from luke's thing now it's like it's this whole thing but i'm like uh you know it's kind of cool man um i didn't think i would ever really show up on something like this so uh i just wanted to say like awesome you know like it was, it was a lot of fun and i don't know if i'll do another one i don't know if you guys are, i don't know if we're what are you gonna do you're gonna like uh roll in a rotation or something like that or um contemplating all that still yeah uh, yeah no we're gonna have different different co-hosts every week so if cool. you enjoyed your experience we would be more than happy to have you back at some point but i will say that uh i i think it's cool i've been you know i've watched the show especially watched it early on i haven't seen it in the last six months no i'm just kidding i have i've watched one <laughs> Um, and I've just, uh, I dig it, man. I think you guys have done a great job. Mark power to Mark, uh, going over to ESPN. I know he's going to kill it over there. Hopefully he gets something going where they give him a little bit of a platform to keep doing something like this. Um, at least a mailbag or something, but, um, it was fun to sit in man and, uh, and talk to you guys and uh, talk to you and kind of deal with, I never get to really deal with the public like this, where you get to answer questions directed at you and stuff like that. Um, because after the beat is a Luke thing, he picks those questions. I don't. So, uh, so, so that was fun. So thank you, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you for joining us. And that about wraps it up here for today's episode of the A-Side Live Chat Podcast. Uh, this has been a fun one. Next week, we will have a different person on Chuck Hall's seat. But we will have the man back. Most certainly, it is an open invitation. Anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome. Uh, we appreciate you. And we appreciate you guys for sticking with us. It is a busy week this week. We have UFC Ottawa coming. Our own Alexander K. Lee is in Ottawa for that, so we will bring you coverage all week from Ottawa. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. In the meantime, I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the rest of the fights. Uh, subscribe to the MMA Fighting new feed where all of our shows are now in there. Uh, in the meantime, my name is Sean Oshadi. That man is Chuck Mendenhall. This has been the A-Side Live Chat Podcast. Same time, same place next week. We appreciate you. We love you. We will see you then. Have a good weekend. A-side.